the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. They will be so broken when, you know, I mean, I mean, think about this. If you, for all your life, have denied Jesus isn't the Lord, and I don't believe in the crucifixion, and the whole cross thing is made up, and it's just a crutch, you know, Christians going around talking about Jesus dying for their sins, and then one day you see him, and you behold him, and he's bearing the marks of his crucifixion, and he stands there before you, I mean, you're going to be undone. You will be undone. The scenario Pastor Gary describes in today's message is not an enviable one. To stubbornly deny and reject Christ and then stand before Him and find out that all your hatred and scorn were so misplaced is not a place that anyone wants to find themselves. That's not just a hypothetical. It is going to happen for many people. Wouldn't you rather that that moment be a moment of reunion and fulfillment of your faith? instead of realizing the waste and destruction you allowed to fill your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. In chapter 8, verse 2, he says, And I saw... The seven angels, it's the direct article, the, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So here in chapter 8, verse 2, it tells us that there are seven angels who stand before God, who are around the throne of God. So back here in chapter 1, when he talks about the seven spirits who are before his throne, it could simply be referring to spiritual beings. I know in New King James it's capitalized, the word spirits, in other translations it's not. And so if you, if you compare uh, chapter 1, verse 4, with chapter 8, verse 2, it could indicate this, these, are, these are angels that are around the presence of, of the Lord. And verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, I'm back here in, in chapter 1, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. So this verse here is stressing the sovereignty of God. He's ruler over the kings of the earth. He's firstborn from the dead. Again, Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead with a glorified body. In the course of his ministry, and not just in Jesus' ministry, but the Apostle Paul we see in Scripture, and, and Peter also raised some people from the dead, but all those people died again. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he died again. But Jesus was the first to rise from the dead with a glorified body, never to perish again. And his example going before us is what we have to look forward to, that we also in Christ 
will get a glorified body that will rise from the dead, that will never perish, that that is imperishable, the Bible says. And so that's why Jesus is called the one who is the firstborn from the dead, in that sense, that he's gotten a glorified body never to perish again. And it says, continuing on, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Just speaking of that cleansing work of the cross, the shed blood of Jesus, washing over our sins. And he loved us and, and washed us, cleansed us. Verse 6, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And amen just is the affirmative. Yes, it's a declarative statement to what was just said. When we close prayer and we say amen, we're just saying yes in unity and affirming what was said. And so he says here about how God has loved us, he's washed us from our sins by the blood of Jesus, and he's made us, it says there in verse 6, made us kings, some of your translations say made us into a kingdom, and priests to his God and Father. So this is simply a statement that when God redeems us through the blood of his son Jesus, that, it, that we're getting the royal treatment, if you will, and, and that we share in all the privileges and uh, responsibilities of uh, being heirs of, of, of God and co-heirs with Christ, and that we've been made priests. Now, this, this doesn't mean that we go around you know, absolving people of their sins. Uh, this is just simply a term that refers to the priestly act of people was to make God known to man and make man known to God. And that happens in different ways. When we witness Christ and when we make Christ known in our world, we are making God known to man. And when we pray for people and when we just, you know, intercede on behalf of people, we're lifting up man to God. So we're for, we are in that position of a priest, not in this, you know, clerical sense, but in this sense of just, you know, God using us to present him and to represent him to man and uh, for us to intercede in representing man to God. And so we have this wonderful, you know, royal kind of welcoming into the family of God. Peter would say something similar in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, when he said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he tells us here in verse 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. So notice here in verse 7, Behold, look, watch, see, he is coming. Jesus is coming, and he's coming with the clouds. Now, I believe that he means that in two ways. He means it both literally, he's coming with the clouds or in the clouds, and he's coming with the clouds figuratively. Let me, let me explain. But first, let me walk on back again to our famous timeline that you will be seeing for the next five years, all right? But again, when we, when we think about where we are in terms of the timeline of history and prophecy, Jesus has risen from the dead. He ascends back into heaven. I feel like such a school teacher here today. 
We are presently in the church age. That's Revelation 1 through 3. What, but what John is talking about here is when Jesus comes back to earth. Now remember, there's a partial a part. There's, uh, the second coming is in two phases. Jesus comes in the clouds to receive us. That's the rapture. But then he comes back to earth, and that's when he uh, comes back to the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And, and this is the part that he's talking about here. He's talking about the second coming when Christ actually comes back to the earth, not the part in the clouds when he comes to rapture the church. So, so what does it mean, though, that it speaks of him coming with the clouds? Notice the preposition is with. It's not in. And uh, this is really something that can be seen in light of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Sometimes when you read words in the book of Revelation, they don't always mean what we think they mean. Clouds don't always mean wispy things in the air. And when it talks, for example, about the sea, it doesn't always mean a body of water. And so we have to, again, interpret Scripture with Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it, ta- it follows the great hall of faith chapter from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, when it lists all these men and women who were so faithful to God. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The idea of a cloud is the idea here that Jesus is returning with the saints. The saints are the cloud that he's surrounded by as he comes back to earth to establish his kingdom and to end the battle of Armageddon uh, in Revelation chapter 19. So in Revelation 1, John is giving us a glimpse of what is going to happen in Revelation chapter 19, that Jesus returns to the earth, and when he returns, he brings the saints with him. Uh, This is what the Bible says, Jesus even himself in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64 when he's in front of the Sanhedrin to the high priest, Jesus said this, Matthew 26, 64. It is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the, of, of the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So, It can mean literal because, again, Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends up into heaven and he's coming again in the same manner. So he's coming in a literal sense in the clouds. That's Matthew 26, 64. But he's also coming with the clouds. That's Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. And and so he is surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. He comes again. Uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says in verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So when believers die and they go to heaven... At whatever point Jesus returns, he will bring the saints with him back to earth, and we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. So we come back with him. And that's probably here what John is referring to when he talks about, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Now, there are more than 300 Old Testament references in the book of Revelation from 24 different Old Testament books. But most of them are not footnoted. Uh, most of the time, John doesn't say, this was to fulfill the prophet like some of the gospel writers do. What we actually are reading here in this, in this section is from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Let me read to you from Daniel seven thirteen to 14. 
Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And so, in actuality, John here is writing in verse 7, in reference to what Daniel says in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, about the second coming of Christ. Daniel saw the same vision. I saw the Son of Man coming with, it's interesting again, the preposition is with, not in. I saw him with the clouds coming. So he's surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, the saints, the Christians coming back with him to earth. And it says there, and every, this is back here in Revelation 1-7, and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 26 and 27, Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, this is what Jesus meant there. That was Matthew 24, verses 26 and 27. He said his second coming is not going to be in obscurity. You're never going to have to worry that you've missed the second coming of Christ. If somebody comes up to you and says, did you hear about the second coming? You're like, no, I didn't hear about it. Oh, you missed it, dude. Man, you missed it. Man, it was incredible. You know, it happened over in Illinois. And, uh, okay, first of all, it's not going to happen in Illinois. So, you know, that isn't right. It's the Mount of Olives. It's east of Jerusalem. It's in Jerusalem. And the second thing is, Jesus points it out. He says, if somebody says to you, hey, we saw him in the desert, don't believe it. Don't even go out there to see him. Because he says the the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like lightning flashing across the sky, and everybody's going to see him. And this is why John writes here, every eye will see him. Now, I personally believe that the advancement of technology is going to accomplish this. Because everybody's got a smartphone, and, and there's satellite dishes, and there's cable, and there's there is now the ability to get information around the world in a split second so that everybody can see it. So people will either see it with the naked eye or they will see it through technology, but it will not go unnoticed. And nobody will say, he came and you missed him. Everybody will see him. Every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him. Okay, now this is a special uh, notation here for the Jewish people. But again, as I said on Sunday, we all in effect have pierced him. We're not laying blame at the feet of the Jews. We all, because of our sin, pierced Jesus. That's why he went to the cross to die for all of us. But in particular, he's speaking here of the Jews because he he goes on to say, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. We talked about this on Sunday. Now he's quoting from Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. In Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, it talks about how when Jesus comes again and he bears the mark of his crucifixion, and it says they will see the one that they have pierced. It says it right here in Revelation. But in Zechariah 12, it also says they will look upon the one that they have pierced. They will ask, where did you receive these marks? He will say, I received them in the house of my friends. He will be making a reference to the fact that his own people, he came among his own and his own received him not, that the Jewish people who denied that he was Messiah who pierced him, 
will, on the day of his second coming, when he comes back to the Mount of Olives, behold him, see the marks of his crucifixion, and they will weep, Zechariah 12 tells us, and Revelation 1. They will weep bitterly. Zechariah says they will weep bitterly as one weeps for an only child. And the reference to the place where the Assyrians would separate children from their parents, and there was a day when there was such great weeping, Zechariah says it will be like that on the day when Christ returns. Because to the, for those who denied him, and either directly or, in effect, indirectly pierced him and nailed him to the cross, they will be so broken. When, you know, I mean, I mean, think about this. If you, for all your life, have denied Jesus isn't the Lord, and I don't believe in the crucifixion, and the whole cross thing is made up, and it's just a crutch, you know, Christians going around talking about Jesus dying for their sins, and then one day you see him, and you behold him, and he's bearing the marks of his crucifixion, and he stands there before you, I mean, you're going to be undone. You will be undone. And this is what he's referring to here, the weeping, because they will look upon him. And it says all the tribes, all the tribes. So again, this is not exclusive to the Jewish people. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. In Revelation 7, verse 9, it talks about how John saw people before the throne from every tribe, every language, every nation, every people. And so heaven is going to be a very diverse place. And if if you have a little ounce of prejudice towards any other culture, you better get over that now. Because in heaven, there will be people from every language, every culture, every tribe, every people. Jesus came for all, died for all, and loves all. Amen. And Jesus then speaks here in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. By the way, the word Almighty obviously speaks of His strength. The word Almighty is mentioned only ten times in the New Testament. Ten times in the New Testament. Nine out of those ten times is in the book of Revelation. He is known as the Almighty One. He's powerful. And He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, the New Testament was written in, originally in Greek. So that's the Greek first letter of the alphabet and the Greek last letter of the alphabet. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. But in Hebrew, there is this expression about Aleph and Tov. That's the first and the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It is the same expression we have when we say, you know, I've told you everything from A to Z. What are we saying? We're saying, I've given you the sum total of it all. And so Jesus is saying, I am the Aleph and the Tov. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A to Z. I am the sum total of everything. And I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, who was and is, and is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, this is tribulation small t. All right, there's plenty of tribulation small t in our lives. There is great tribulation, capital T, that comes in Revelation chapter 6 that will come upon the earth. If you think things are bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. What is going to happen on the earth is unimaginable, but God outlines it for us in advance through chapter 6 to 18. So when John says here, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation, he doesn't mean I'm in 
tribulation, great tribulation, capital T, but he's writing in first century. It was one of the bloodiest centuries in terms of persecution of Christians. And, and so he, he's experiencing tribulation himself. He's on the island of Patmos. He's in his 90s, and he's, and he's hauling rocks. Okay, the island of Patmos was a big slab of marble. And when prisoners were sent there, they, they would chip out marble. That was their job. That's what he was doing here. So he's experiencing some tribulation. Uh, and and um, he's, he says, I'm your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God. Here's the reason that he's been... Uh, sent off to Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm here on this island, this, this, you know, terrible place because I've been true to the word of God and I've been true to the testimony of Jesus Christ. As a believer, this is why I'm here. He's been banished there by the emperor Domitian. And he says in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now again, he's using language here. It sounded, it was, it, it was so strong, the blast of the voice was like a trumpet. But he, but he doesn't mean literally a trumpet. He's talking about how the voice of God sounded so strong like a trumpet blast. But he says here, I was in the spirit. Now in your Bibles, and this isn't taking away anything, I'm just talking about original language, the article the is not in the original Greek. So if you want to do what I did in my Bible, I'll just circle the word the and I put a little mark through it. Now don't worry, you're not taking any way, anything away from the Bible. I'm just saying in the original language, it just simply reads, I was in spirit. I was in spirit. The only reason I point that out is because John is saying more than I have the Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit was guiding me to write these things. What he's telling us is that he was actually captive by the Spirit. And he said, I was in spirit. And he has, if you will, and I don't, I don't want this to sound mystical or mysterious, but I, but in, you know, in modern language, we would say something like, he had an out-of-body experience, okay? He is being lifted in spirit. He, this is more than just, I'm inspired to write these things by the Spirit. He is saying, I was caught up in spirit. God actually took him in some place, visually, spiritually, to be able to experience these things, to see these things. And, and that's what he writes about. And he mentions it was on the Lord's day. Now, that doesn't mean the Sabbath. The Sabbath has been and always still is Saturday. He's talking Sunday. Ever since Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, that's been the Lord's day. That's been traditionally when the Christian church has been worshiping him on Sunday. This is the Lord's day. So he, he's specific here. He says it was a Sunday. And I heard behind me a loud voice, as of a trumpet, saying, and here's Jesus again, saying what we just read, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book. He's, he's instructing John, I want you to write these things down. Now, he's going to tell John specifically, and I kind of chuckle at this, 11 more times through the book of Revelation, write this down, write this down, write this down. Because I get this picture that John is just like so wide-eyed by all these visions that he's seeing in this circular room that every once in a while God says, John, hey, wake up, write this down, <laughs> write it down. So a total of a dozen times, this is the first one. Write this down in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And here are the seven churches, the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamos, the church in Thyatira, the church in Sardis, the church in Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, 
and the church in Laodicea. And so he instructs him right to these seven churches. And because our time has escaped us, we're going to have to pause it there. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.